Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. Hello and welcome to an all-new installment of Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. Uh, it's it's Greg Klein. It's your old buddy Greg Klein here, flying solo this week. Brian Griffiths is traveling somewhere again. His toes in some beach. He's tweeting about drinking beer, which is fine. Whatever. Your your boy is working. And uh, to quote a very famous radio broadcaster, and some of you will get this, and those who do, this is for you. Your boy is tired. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> uh, I've been, uh, you know, simple country lawyer that I am. I've been in, uh, I've been very busy the last few weeks, as, as sometimes you are when you do litigation. And uh, so I'm trying to do the best I can. But don't let that deter you. From listening to tonight's show, because we have a fantastic show for you. And uh, here's what we got on tap. Earlier this week, maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't. We'll share some clips from the governor's State of the State address. Use it as kind of a springboard to talk about where we're going from the session into the election. Talked a little bit about that with uh, Mike Bradley on WGMD. The governor will be on with Mike Bradley Friday morning at 8 o'clock. You want to check that out. We'll be promoting that in support of, of uh, Mike. Mike is very excited about having the governor on, and I'm sure he'll do uh, a great job there. Uh, so we'll break that down. Uh, a little later on, uh, some left-wing blog has gotten a hold of a court document. Some of us are in court and aren't busy enough, are too busy to kind of pull these things and do this ourselves, so we're relying on the uh the left-wing media uh, fueled by dark money. Uh, but they have found something very interesting that, that I'm going to want to share. Um, the indictment and currently pending federal court case against still State Senator Nathaniel Oaks, uh, some stuff has come forward that it appears to be the Nathaniel Oaks thing is just the tip of the iceberg of a much, much broader investigation and potential corruption uh, explosion who knows when all of this will come to bear in the coming months, perhaps? Hmm, I don't know, but we'll share that. Uh, we'll share that with you a little bit later. And then I'm going to wind up the show. Point of personal privilege. I was not able, just physically, folks, just give me a break, all right? Uh, physically not able to do a conservative refuge radio. I said I was going to do two shows this week, and I will because I want to remind you that Brian and I will be at the Montgomery County Republican Clubs, Republican Central Committee. Excuse me, it's not a club, Greg. It's a central committee. That's a pet peeve of yours. Why are you doing that? Your boy is tired. I didn't curse. It's going to be one of those shows, folks. Anyway, Brian and I are going to be out there at some ungodly hour on Saturday morning because I'm not going to sleep in. Why would I? Um, and we're going to be doing a show there. So come by, see us, you know, bring me some coffee. That's what I ask. And uh, we'll be taping a show. So that'll be another show. And I'm putting together a uh, election focus for next week. We've got some great candidates lined up to interview 
uh, Saturday afternoon before I completely collapse from exhaustion. So uh, I, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm doing the work. That's what you want to see. And Anyway, I'm getting too far afield. I'm, I'm, uh, Mark Nugent is enjoying this probably if he's listening. Maybe Brian Sears gets this. Nobody else is. <sighs> Let's just get into it. Um, say to the state this week. By the way, I'd love to get your feedback. If you want advice on, you know, wh- what advice I'd give to the young MD, if, you, if you're if you like Greg, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, maybe you should have taken a nap instead of doing this podcast. Whatever it is, send your opprobrium or your kudos or kudos even to me at uh, redmaryland at gmail.com. You can share your comments on Facebook, facebook.com slash redmaryland. Of course, uh, on Twitter at red maryland so i would i would love to get your feedback let's start now with the governor's state of the state address uh let's just start from the beginning here's how the governor describes the current state of our beloved maryland we worked hard to usher in a new spirit of bipartisanship in annapolis and to create an environment of trust and cooperation where the best ideas rise to the top based upon their merit, regardless of which side of the aisle they come from. Time and again, we have chosen to engage in thoughtful and civil debate. We have risen above the fray of partisan politics, and we have chosen to seek common sense bipartisan solutions to the serious problems that faced us. We are living up to the great potential and promise of our state. And And together, we are changing Maryland for the better. Because of that, I'm pleased to report that today, The state of our state is stronger than it has been in decades. We're forging an even stronger and brighter future for Maryland. Through internal struggle and outward chaos, we have not faltered. We have made progress with courage and with clarity of purpose. And our citizens are more pleased with the job that we are doing and the direction that we are having heading than they have ever been before. Together, we have been doing what Marylanders do best. We are leading by our actions and by our example. And ladies and gentlemen, we cannot afford to turn back now. All right, so there you go. So that's that's the governor's. That was kind of the theme of his state of the state. Um, great. Way. And by the way, uh, as we're recording this, I know the governor today announced that he's he's been diagnosed with skin cancer. He's having a procedure done. Obviously, our prayers go out to him and his family. And and you know, uh, there's nobody tougher in the world than this guy. And everything he's gone through and all the really amazing thing, and we'll talk about more about them, to, to have to battle this as well. I mean, 
God bless him. That's all I can say. Anyway, the speech that he gave there, now he's talking about they're, they're happier with what we're doing. They're happy with what the governor's doing. And the governor is being incredibly gracious and bipartisan in, in, give, in sharing the um, sharing the success with the legislature, who frankly would rather cut his head off than, than work with him. They've already shown that in the early stages of, of the General Assembly session. It's disgraceful the way they've treated this guy. Um, and he is rising above the fray and sharing the credit with them. Uh, and, and he is the one who is very popular. And, and we'll share some other clips that we're talking about this. But the governor is setting out what, what we said in 2014 after he was elected he'll need to do to get reelected, and that is to run a campaign, promises made, promises kept. Now, we'll hear a little bit more about some details of that as we get into um, some of the, this some year, of the clips. Hold on. We'll, we'll get to you. Hold on. Hold on a sec. Two weeks ago. Okay. So let me... Um, <laughs> A lot of details that he gave, and I want to give some details. I'm not going to play all the clips. He talked about the economy, how jobs are growing, uh, over 150,000. I think it's beyond that now, depending on what the most recent numbers were. New jobs created. The governor's balanced the budget without raising taxes and actually funding $700 million in tax fee and toll relief. Cut regulations. Okay. The economy has been taking off in Maryland, and it more than its neighbors now the national economy is catching up and is starting to take off as well you know this governor has been able to fully fund priorities uh he spent more money on k-12 education in real dollars than any other governor in the history of the state even going beyond the mandated amount without raising taxes and balancing the budget without busting the budget and spending a lot more money okay this is what the governor has done that's why he's got 71 percent approval rate it's not magic it's good leadership. It's effective, efficient uh, leadership. And, and, and he's had to work where he doesn't have to work with the legislature. He's taken full advantage of that. And, and his, his gra- I think some of his greatest conservative accomplishments, cutting taxes, fees, and tolls, he's been able to, where the legislature can't get in his way, he's been most aggressive on that. Balancing the budget, controlling state spending, He's been able to do that because of the way that the system is set up. And the Democrats are just trying to trip him up because all they want, all they want is power, folks. They don't care about the state being actually being well run. What they care about is being uh, continuing in power. So let me, that which brings me to the next clip, OK, which is the gerrymandering thing. He brings this up again, going to the bipartisan uh, the theme of bipartisanship, setting himself up as the bipartisan, effective leader of the state and, you know, letting the Democrats be something else. And this is a great issue where he's able to do that. And let's let's roll that beautiful bean footage, as Brian would say. Passed the Legislative Transparency Act of 2018 so that Maryland can join the 43 other states across America that require legislative deliberations to be live streamed to the public and help us put the issue of term limits on the ballot this year for the people of Maryland to decide this issue for themselves in November. And in order to uphold the public trust, to truly represent the interests of all the people that we were elected to serve, let's put partisanship 
and self-interest aside and join together with the overwhelming majority of Marylanders to end the practice of partisan gerrymandering in Maryland. Now, listen, all of those ideas are great ideas. Okay? All of those ideas are incredibly popular with the general public of all political stripes. Gerrymandering, we've talked about that a million times. Uh, Term limits. I'm a huge fan of term limits. I know Brian has been back and forth, and he's all over the road. Um, Frankly, I'm going to, and I'm going to say this right now, and, 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 you know, I haven't said this before. I think even our Republican friends who've served more than two terms, enough. And I'm going to tell you right now, and, and Brian's, Brian's hearing this for the first time, I'm going to withhold, and therefore Red Maryland's going to withhold its endorsement of anybody who's been in office for two terms or more already. We're just not going to do it in the same office. It needs to stop. We need to support the governor, and we don't need lifelong politicians. And, and you know, I've seen the example in my time in politics where you have good, effective leaders who could probably run and win again who retire, okay, who've gone on and done other things, whether they ran for something else, where they went back into the private sector from whence they came. I've seen that example. We don't need legislators with four or five terms. It's not what it's supposed to be. It doesn't result in good policy. It results in in a lot of bad things, as does partisan gerrymandering. Frankly, partisan gerrymandering um, results in bad legislators on both sides of the aisle because you have a lot of Republicans and a lot of Democrats who are in safe districts and they get lazy. They only have to worry about their primary and, you know, they don't worry about representing the district. They don't mind their P's and Q's very often. They don't go meet the public as often as they should and they get lazy. And, um, you know, legislators who are in really competitive districts who are always someone breathing down their neck, they they really work very hard because they have to. We need a system that that creates that kind of tension. Gerrymandering undermines it. Um, you know, having people in office for more than two terms undermines it because you have that overwhelming power of incumbency. Uh, and, and I think having more public scrutiny via, uh, you know, video of what these folks are doing um, and, and, and video, you know, they do things like they'll video committees, but they won't do it for when they actually vote. You know, the thing that you actually want to see. They want to keep that. This is what this is what the legislature does. Um, and I think what the governor's proposing here is is incredibly smart. Will any of it pass? Probably not. Probably not. Most of the legislators down there don't want term limits. It's an idea that's been proposed before and it's going to get nowhere. Just like the Democrats don't want partisan gerrymander or the end of partisan gerrymander. They don't want bipartisan or nonpartisan uh, districts being drawn because that disadvantages them. And and legislators, a lot of them don't want to have more scrutiny from people on the outside, because the reality is, and we've talked about this at Red Mountain for years, um, not only are you going to see things that the Democrats do that you don't like, you're going to see things Republicans do that you don't like, too. OK, not as much and certainly not as much with this governor in the state house. I think they've they've done a much better job and they've been able to keep some unity in ways they haven't in the past. But you're going to see that. So, um, and again, it's a no-lose issue for the governor. 
if the Democrats and the legislature goes for it, he gets a big win. If they don't, he's the bipartisan, good government, effective leader that is with the people. And he's up against the, the same old partisan politicians who, uh, who are against anything changing. Let's talk about another issue the governor has made a priority uh, from when he ran, when he got elected, and that is the opioid issue and, and some other things. Let's play this clip. I got a letter from Karen Dolch, a mom from Salisbury. She wrote about her son, Chad, a four-year veteran of the United States Army who served a 15-month tour in Iraq. When Chad returned home, he struggled with PTSD and addiction. He went through some difficult times. But then, Karen says, he got clean, and he was turning his life around. I had the opportunity to meet Chad when I spoke at his graduation from welding school. Karen sent me a picture from that day of the three of us. And I have it here with me today. In her letter, Karen wrote that on December 17th, Chad tragically died at the age of 29 after overdosing on heroin that was mixed with morphine and fentanyl. Chad's mom, Karen, and his family are here with us today, and I wanted to recognize them. Karen, Chad's family. It was tough for Karen to be here today, but she wanted to honor Chad. She wanted to show us that when we talk about this crisis, we are really talking about fighting for all of the Chads and the Karens out there, for all of the lives cut too short and all of the families that will never be the same. That's why, no matter how hard it is, we cannot ever give up this fight. Okay, now that was a very emotional moment in in the speech, obviously. And the governor, you can hear it. You certainly can see it if you look at the video, uh, was was very choked up. This is an issue that is, and, and you folks listening know this, this is a huge issue. It's becoming more and more of an important issue. You hear politicians talking about it because people like this lady who lost her son that was there are more and more people like this. There really is a crisis and people really are dying at a rate that is shocking. And it's in every part of the state, every strata of society, every socioeconomic group. And um, the governor has made it a point to go after it. Is what he's doing working? I mean, people can argue about that, but it's clear that that this is this is becoming a really huge issue for people who aren't political okay and and again this is what's really this is what's really important it's one of the reasons why this governor is so effective cuz he he understands how important that issue is it's not just a political calculation he's really sincere about it but again he's challenging the legislature to fix the problem to do something about the problem and you know are they gonna Are they gonna take him as task? Are they gonna come out and talk about you know bump stocks, and gun control, 
and, you know, ignore really serious solutions to this stuff? Are they going to come out against putting criminals who are selling this stuff and killing these people by putting out on the streets in jail? Um, so, I mean, you get you get the idea. A couple more, just actually just one more. Um, or two more that I'm going to play here. Let's talk about the transportation. This is another issue where the, gov- the rebuilding Maryland's transport. Hold on. Just give me a second, Governor. I'll get to you. Let me set it up a little bit. Uh, the governor came in. One of the things he talked about making a priority was bringing a l- more balance back from the O'Malley years, which were so heavily weighted towards mass transit, to bring back some balance towards surface transportation. The governor inherited an infrastructure, a road infrastructure in the state that was in shambles, a really terrible shape. Even O'Malley admitted it, but he didn't do anything about it because all the money he shoveled into, if you'll forgive the phrase, into mass transit. The governor's come back. He's he's returned money to locality, something he talked about during the campaign he was going to do. Um, he's he's imp- and you're going to hear the results of what he's doing. And again, he's improving the state's transportation again without raising taxes. Didn't need a gas tax increase to do this. OK, without raising tolls on roads. In fact, he cut them without cutting spending and other important priorities by managing the, the resources, the 40 plus billion dollars the state receives every single year by prioritizing it in the right direction, making it more efficient. The governor's been able to do what Martin O'Malley for eight years said couldn't literally couldn't be done. And let's hear him talk about that. Transportation infrastructure. We're moving forward with nearly all of the highest priority transportation projects in every single jurisdiction all across Maryland. We're making record investments for innovative traffic relief with major improvements to the Baltimore Beltway, I-95, the Capitol Beltway, Route 270, and the Baltimore-Washington Parkway. We have nearly 1,000 projects totaling $9 billion currently under construction from one corner of the state to the other, and we have already repaved more than 8,000 lane miles, which is more than one-third of our entire state highway system. Construction of the long-anticipated Purple Line is underway, which represents the largest public transit, public-private transit project in America. We've been breaking records at the Port of Baltimore for three straight years, and BWI Marshall has become the number one airport in the region and one of the most thriving airports in the nation. On transportation infrastructure, Maryland is leading by action and by example, and we cannot afford to turn back now. Okay, now remember, again, the legislature tried to block the governor from being able to do this. Remember, they had the roadkill bill, and the governor defeated them ultimately and forced them to back down, and this is the result of it. The result is... Um, and, and the result of going forward with public-private partnerships, things the Democrats just are anathema to them, okay, well, you know, he's actually solving the problem, working towards solutions. Some of the most congested roads in the country, the governor is making inroads. And they, look, there's a lot of work to do. Making the, the, the D.C. Beltway, uh, you know, widen is not a simple thing to do it's a very difficult thing to do the bw parkway 270 all these things he talked about but he's moving forward on them where o'malley did nothing literally nothing 
and said and and was trying to convince people, well, we shouldn't do that. Meanwhile, he's still putting money into the purple line, okay, um, which is which is the most you know was a use of mass transit spending that at least made sense in a cost benefit analysis for the governor. The red line didn't. He killed it. He's still being called a racist by Baltimore politicians about that. But again, effective leadership that's solving problems. And the legislature tried to stop him from doing it. Now, imagine a a campaign commercial later in the year with those results about what's being improved juxtaposed with Maryland Democrats trying to stop him with the roadkill bill. Okay, that's that's what's coming down the road. And you can do that on a lot of issues. Let me let me uh, finish it up here. Let me finish it up here um, on on the education issue. Let me play this clip because this is a big one, too. Maryland is leading by action and example, and we cannot afford to turn back now. Let's work together to pass the Protect Our Students Act of 2018, because the status quo simply is not good enough for Maryland's children. Let's work together to make our schools more accountable by passing the Accountability and Education Act of 2018. No child should have to pay the price for the mistakes of adults who have failed them. This is too important to, pay, to play politics. This is about our children and their futures. It's about giving every Maryland child opportunities and a hope for a better future. Okay, so on uh, again, juxtapose that with what the Democrats are. The, the Democrats are saying the schools are underfunded, they're falling apart. They want to spend 30, 40% more, depending on some of the estimates of what the cost of the Kerwin Commission recommendations are going to be. They're going to have to spend another, uh, you know, another $4 billion a year to fully fund what Kerwin is saying we're going to need. That's a 10% increase in state spending every year. So, you, you know, you know what that means, higher taxes. Okay. Meanwhile, the governor's talking about accountability. Uh, because what we're seeing coming out of this audit in Prince George's County is frankly shocking. And the governor's saying we need to do that all throughout the state. And guess what? If we did it all throughout the state, we'd find some other shocking things in other places as well. We, and we'd also find some really r- well-run uh, school systems. And the Democrats really don't want that coming out because, <laughs> the, the, because I could tell you if that happened, the school systems the Democrats run aren't going to come out as good as the ones that they don't run. Um, so, you know, they, they don't want accountability. But again, here's the governor talking about uh, leading and being effective on a really critical issue that is important to voters across the spectrum. He's able to do he's able to lead and be effective in a conservative way without raising taxes, with balancing the budget without massively increasing the state budget and still making uh, K-12 through education a priority. He's shown that he can do that. He's, he's about accountability and spending money wisely. That's the focus, as opposed to just throwing more and more money into public education and cutting off any alternatives. Um, that, that sets up for what he's going to do this fall. So I, those are the clips. I encourage you, to, if you didn't watch the whole thing, to do that. It's interesting the Democrats 
really weren't giving him a lot of support. Of course, we saw that with the president as well. They just kind of sat on their hands. That's their thing now. Um, Miller and Bush look like they're about ready to fall over at any minute. I mean, if you want to, if you want a a symbol of how tired, excuse me, of how literally tired. Speaking of tired, of how literally tired the Maryland Democratic Party is. Watch Miller and Bush during that speech by Governor Hogan. And um, then, of course, in front of Governor Hogan at the dais in, in the uh, House of Delegates chamber, uh, you've got the comptroller who's smiling, who's nodding. You've got the lieutenant governor who's, you know, sitting up and, and is and is uh, and is following along. And then you've got the attorney general who's so dour behind that big mustache of his and, you know, grumping the whole way through. It, it's the, the optics of it are hilarious frankly um so anyway so this is this is the jumping off point uh we can't turn back now can't turn back now can't turn back now we got to reelect governor hogan that's what he's talking about the progress that we've made is going to be turned back and that's something folks if 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 you listen to us here at red maryland you're kind of lukewarm on the governor because he isn't you know he isn't a trump cheerleader the way you think he ought to be or you don't like that he did this or that or, or you know something else. Keep that in mind. Keep in mind what the difference is going to be. Um, ben Jealous is going to jack up your taxes, and he's not going to fix the roads. Okay, it's just not going to happen. Um, he's not going to be tougher on crime. In fact, he's going to lean towards being more lenient with criminals, tougher on gun owners. By the way. Um, and and you know facilitating more drug use rather than trying to stem the tide that is literally killing people throughout the state so something to keep in mind there all right let's take a break and we'll come back and uh you know this whole thing with nathaniel oaks is uh just may just be the tip of the iceberg there may be a monster uh of corruption lurking under the surface We'll cover it when we come back. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. You can help Red Maryland grow our reach when you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal. A portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on our Red Maryland talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters. You're listening to the Red Maryland Network. Very exciting stuff. I think we're pretty much ready to go here with this podcast. The hell is a podcast? I mean, why don't you just tape it? What are you doing? You don't have to tape it these days, Frank. You just record it right onto the computer. One hundred. 
All right, we're back. Little uh, little brand new heaven and earth monster for you here on Red Maryland Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Craig Klein. I am in here solo this week. Brian again, eating hamburgers and drinking beers throughout the country. Whatever. I'm here. I'm here. And <laughs> I am I am ready to believe you. Uh, but speaking of monsters, there is a, I mentioned before the break, there is a corruption monster brewing. Uh, some interesting stuff coming out of this case against Senator, still a state Senator, by the way, the Democrats got his vote on the veto stuff. They could kick him out now, but they won't. Senator Nathaniel Oaks. This is from some left wing blog that's funded by dark money, probably George Soros. Um, in a new filing, and the U- well, there's a link at redmaryland.com if you really want to go there, but don't. I'm reading it to you, so why would you? In a new filing in U.S. District Court, attorneys for State Senator Nathaniel T. Oaks, Oaks, wow, there was a little Baltimore accent there. How about that? That was, a, that was a bonus. Paint an extraordinary picture of the persistence and scope of federal investigators in their ongoing probe of possible political corruption in and around the Maryland legislature and Baltimore city government. Defense lawyers for Oaks detail how an how an FBI source secretly recorded conversations with now former Baltimore City Council member known only as Council Member X, a politically well-connected and prominent business developer known only as Developer Y, and City Council President Bernard Jack Young. The source, quote, a former senior county executive aide, end quote, what county, I wonder, hmm, Recruited by the FBI in July of 2014, this thing's been going on for four years, guys, is known in court records only as S-0006380. I love the FBI. Oaks's lawyers wrote in a memorandum supporting a defense motion for the judge to instruct the jury on entrapment. (laughs) This is great. The AIDS, the, the AIDS County is not identified, but I bet it's a county very near Baltimore City, maybe on many sides of Baltimore City. Citing sealed investigative information gained in discovery, Oaks Federal Public Defenders wrote that the role of S-63808 included, quote, working undercover and secretly recording his, her interactions and conversations with members, members, plural, of the Maryland legislature, members of the city council, and others, lobbyists and business elites, who regularly interacted with the legislature and council. So they've been running a wire uh, on the entire legislature and the city council. (laughs) None of these individuals, other than Young, are identified in the court filings. The memorandum filed Friday by Lucius T. Outlaw III, that is a fantastic name, and Rebecca S. Talbot of the Federal Public Defender's Office. By the way, uh, public defenders get kind of a bad rap. Federal Public Defender's actually really, really good attorneys, just for the record. I just want to say that. Offers new details about the breadth of the probe, which dates at least to the early summer of 2014. That was almost two years before Oaks allegedly took his first bribe from an FBI. He was set up. It was entrapment when he took the bribe. They, they tricked him into taking the bribe. He wouldn't have done it otherwise, but they just gave him, they just put all this money in front of him and said, take it. What was he supposed to do? He's only human. Anyway, in the memorandum, defense lawyers maintained the federal investigators entrapped Oaks during the months-long series 
of attempts to bribe him. They're asking U.S. District Court Judge Richard D. Bennett to agree ahead of trial, scheduled on April 16th, to explain entrapment to the jury. Now, let me give you some legal analysis here real quick. This case is set to go to trial in April, all right? Discovery is when the government gives over all the stuff that they can use as evidence, all the stuff that may be inculpatory or exculpatory to the defense, okay? I've done these kind of cases. You get you get a ton of stuff that you got to go through six months before a trial. There are probably rooms full of boxes uh, or the digital equivalent that, that they're going through, and they're finding all of this stuff. Now, sometimes, and I think the, the public defender's office do this, sometimes you can go sit down with the prosecutors and go through and have them explain kind of the key parts so you don't have you're not doing this from scratch you're kind of led to the important things and they will you know a lot of times do that um depends on the relationship you have with and what's going on so on and so forth you've got experienced defense attorneys they're, they're going to kind of zone in and hone in if you will and i will um on certain things let me tell you something about uh judge bennett judge bennett appointed by george w bush a dead ringer for the former president by the way uh, former chairman of the Maryland Republican Party, just saying, just by coincidence, he's a great judge. He's a very, very good judge, okay? He was a defense lawyer uh, before he became a judge, uh, doing federal defense work, a lot of white-collar criminal defense work. He's a smart judge. Wh- however he rules in this, I always found him as a defense attorney to be very, very fair uh, to defendants, so... You know, he's this is really, really going to be interesting. But the key to all this, the key to all this is that that we're getting hints now from this and and more of this will come out because right now they're in the discovery phase. So they can kind of hint about what's in there. They can't disclose everything. But once this thing goes to trial, all this stuff is going to be out there. And if the defense case at trial is going to be entrapment, then they may be able to to extend that scope, whether they get the the entrapment jury instruction or not. I don't. I mean, good luck. <laughs> good luck with Judge Bennett. I, I, that's a tough sell. I think maybe they'll get it. I don't know. Um, and it's a federal jury, so don't. I mean, you could give the instruction. I'm not sure it's going to make any difference, depending on the evidence. But when all this stuff comes out, it's going to be really fascinating. To see where this is going, because the the FBI obviously is investigating a lot of people. Okay, and and look, we know we know politics in the city of Baltimore. We know the interrelationship, the ancestral uh, relationships between developers and city elected officials, and and you know delegates and senators from the city. Okay, you know maybe they're smart enough not to not to flat out take a bribe. But it's all shady, and uh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And this case is going to go to trial in April, okay? Maybe it gets put off, maybe it doesn't. It's probably a multi-week trial. A lot of stuff comes out in the media. It's gonna, the spring is going to be dominated with this, potentially, with this corruption trial. And there may be a lot of other shoes to fall. There may be a lot of other, you know... Democratic elected officials, because they're all going to be Democrats. Believe me, these guys don't bother bribing Republicans in the legislature. They can't do anything. And there's no Democrats on the city council. So they're all going to be Democrats. Uh, 
Um, just fascinating. And they've been investigating them since 2014. So don't tell me it's, you know, a Republican witch hunt because uh, this was the Obama. And I, I know Rod Rosenstein was the U.S. attorney, but this has been going on for a while. If, it, if, this is, if they've been running wire into legislators and, and city elected officials for the better part of four years, I bet they got something more than just Nathaniel Oaks. <laughs> so we'll see. All right, let's take one more break. Come back. I want to talk a little bit about cycling. Haven't had a chance to get to that. Um, it's it's a pet issue of mine, so I hope you indulge me. You're listening to Red Maryland Radio here on the Red Maryland Network. You can help Red Maryland grow our reach when you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal. A portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on a Red Maryland talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters, you're listening to the Red Maryland Network. See, love, love is blind And true love is hard to find It makes you wonder All right, a little, uh, some recent, newer White Snake. Love is blind, check that out. Good stuff. All right. I want to take a point of personal privilege. I didn't play Queen Bicycle, which is what I would do if we were doing this segment on Conservative Refuge Radio. I, I, I didn't do that. I, I, if you've been listening to Conservative Refuge Radio, and I know we haven't done a show in a while, I'll, I'll work on it. Okay, If you miss it, God bless you. We'll do what we can. Uh, I want to bring a little bit of that, since I'm here flying solo, Brian, uh, to this show on Red Maryland Radio. Uh, we, we do a segment regularly where I talk about cycling. I've been doing it for years. If you haven't listened to it, we've done best ofs. Just search cycling. Search cycling. Wow. Hang in there, buddy. You're almost there. Um, <laughs> just search cycling at redmaryland.com, and you can hear these segments. One of the, one of the um, premises that I've operated from, and there's been lots of data and peer-reviewed studies that have pointed this out is that when you put more bicyclists on roads with cars and trucks what will happen is that more bicyclists will be killed and injured as a result this is not some crazy 
conspiracy theory. This is a fact. This is actually happening. It's documented. Again, in peer-reviewed research, I've shared it on the conservative refuge. And it makes sense when you kind of think about it. Despite that, though, the cycling lobby has been pushing and continues to push. They've got a new push going on in the legislature this year um, to adopt policies at every level, at the county level. And believe me, whatever county you're in, they're pushing in your county. At the county level, at the state level, at the national level, at the federal level, uh, to in, for, for transportation, uh, government transportation policymakers to enact policies that allow and promote more and more cycling on roadways where cars and trucks are. Not cycling on paths separated from cars and trucks, which is what we should be doing but spending millions and millions of dollars to create bike lanes, which, by the way, cyclists don't want to be required to be in the bike lane. They, one of the bills, again, this year is you can have a bike lane, but cyclists aren't required to be in the bike lane. Don't even get me started. I, go back and listen to what I've talked about it for years. The point is they want more and more roads being connected so that cyclists can ride more and more. Now, cycling is becoming more popular but not exploding. It's still a very small percentage of, of people who ride bicycles. Most people get from one place to another by using an automobile. That really hasn't changed. That isn't likely to change. But this very vocal, very well-organized minority has been having tremendous success getting policymakers at every level of government to spend more of your money and to adopt policies that if you were objectively honest about the safety of cyclists would be counter to their own interests because having more you know having more rural cycling trails to promote cycling tourism or putting roads together through the downtown Philadelphia all the way up to New York as part of this greenway project we've talked about uh, to allow bikes over the Haddam Bridge in in um, in uh, on over Route 40 that we've talked about in the past, all of these things are going to result in more and more cyclists getting killed and hurt because when you have more cyclists on the road with cars and trucks, you will have more interactions, collisions between cars and trucks and cyclists. And guess what happens? If you took physics class, you know that the cyclist is always going to lose, whether it's the cyclist's fault or the driver's fault or nobody's fault, the cyclist is going to get the worst of it. Now, what the cycling community wants to tell you, and it'll come through in the article I'm about to share with you, this is actually an article from uh, Car and Driver, their argument is, well, we've got, to, we've got to make laws that are tougher on motorists, always tougher on motorists. And, and again, you're seeing it this year. Uh, strict liability when you collide with a bicyclist. Getting rid of the old note, changing the law that wouldn't be changed if a car hit a car, but if a car hits a cyclist, you know, they're trying to conflate cyclists and pedestrians. Even though pedestrians don't walk down the travel lane of a busy roadway the way cyclists do. Pedestrians aren't, you know, they're not the same. They don't travel the same. The interactions between pedestrians and motorists aren't the same as cyclists, yet yet cyclists have gotten very smart, and they're trying to conflate and pass a lot of laws that put pedestrians along with cyclists because cyclists aren't as sympathetic as pedestrians are, okay? And everything they're doing is putting more and more and more burden on motorists, greater 
punishments for motorists. Great. What's going to happen as a result of these policies is not that it's going to protect bicyclists, because more bicyclists are going to get hurt. It's just, it's just as I like to say, probability in physics. You put more bikes on the roadways with cars and trucks, they're going to bump into each other. Just the same way if you put more cars and trucks on roadways, they're going to bump into each other. No matter what the laws are, no matter what people are, are trying to do, nobody's, nobody's going out on the roadways and saying, oh, there's a cyclist, I'm going to run it down. Uh, you listen to some of these cyclists, they, they think that that's kind of what's going on or that everybody who hits a cyclist is drunk. It's not. Accidents actually happen. And they happen with people driving cars and trucks. They happen with people riding motorcycles and cars. The, the problem is when a car hits another car, it's not as dangerous because there's lots of built-in, there's lots of built-in, it's not as dangerous because there's lots of built-in safety devices. Riding a bicycle on the same roadway with large trucks and automobiles is an inherently dangerous activity. The government, if it was really interested in protecting the, psych- the, the safety of cyclists, should be curtailing that activity because it is inherently dangerous. It cannot be made safe by all the traffic laws in the world. You don't believe me. Well, let me show you. This is from Car and Driver. This is from December 12, 2017. With cycling bicycle deaths rising... Something that you've been listening to to Conservative Refuge and me talking about this, I've told you, is happening and will continue to happen. There's a renewed focus on sharing the road. As big cities across the country grapple with population growth and all projections indicate they'll continue to burst at the seams. I don't know if cities are growing that fast. I don't know where they're getting that information. It would be natural to think that transportation planners are focused on expanding roads and maximizing traffic flow. Instead... They're recalibrating the options, examining everything from adding autonomous shuttles to public transit fleets to increasing the miles of bike lanes and bike paths. It's not just cities, by the way. In turn, more Americans are using bicycles to get to work and move around urban areas. The number of bicycle biking commuters has grown 51 percent between 2000 and 2016. But that pedal power has come at a high cost in death and injuries. Let me read that again. The number of biking commuters has grown 51% between 2000 and 2016. But that pedal power has come at a high cost in deaths and injuries. Bicycle deaths reached 840 in 2016, the highest number recorded in the United States since 1991, according to NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which shows rising deaths across most groups of road users. The total number of cyclists injured in U.S. crashes each year was 50,000 in 2014 and 45,000 in 2015, according to the Governor's Highway Safety Association annual bike safety report. The organization analyzed bicycle crash data from 1975 to 2015 and found that long-term decline in deaths reversed in 2016 and started a gradual climb. Another long-term shift finds that adults are far more likely than children to be the victims of fatal crash now because children don't ride on the roadways. People who are dying are people who are riding on roadways dominated by cars and trucks. Now, look, people aren't any more deferential or any less deferential to, um, to bicyclists in the 70s than they are today. 
that's just simply not true. In fact, there are more laws protecting cyclists today than there were 20, 30, 40 years ago, yet deaths are still rising. But but even in this article, there's no there, there's not a lot of examination as to why that is. And there's no one in the legislature or on the county level or anywhere who's who's making that point to policymakers. All they're hearing is, and believe me, I follow the cyclists and what they're doing. They've already had one night of of organized um, uh, uh, lobbying. I've, I'm almost there. Your boy is tired of organized lobbying in Annapolis. They've already had their cycling night in Annapolis. So they're organized. You and me who are going to feel the brunt of this stuff, you and me who are having our tax dollars spent on policies that actually are going to get more people killed and are going to end up putting, if, if, the, if the bicyclists get what they want, all that's going to happen is more cyclists are going to get killed and more motorists are going to end up in jail. That's all that's going to happen. Let me give you some more information to put this. Another long-term shift finds that adults are far more likely than children to be victims of fatal crash. Today, adults account for 88% of bicyclist fatalities, with the average age being 45. Male riders are almost six times more likely to be killed than female cyclists, a disparity that remains unchanged since 1975. One thing in common between 1975 and today, they're all more vulnerable than people in cars. You understand that cycling on a roadway with cars and trucks is an inherently dangerous activity. It cannot be made safe. And increasing the volume of cyclists on roadways with cars and trucks can only result in more deaths and injuries to cyclists. It is therefore a bad policy to encourage it. Good public policy that wants to encourage public safety, particularly the safety of people riding bicycles, would be to discourage, not encourage, to demote, not promote, cyclists on roadways with cars and trucks. Okay, there's a link to this entire thing uh, on on the roadways. Uh, on, I'm sorry. On, <laughs> there's a link to the entire article from Car and Driver. Okay, here's the thing, and, and you get my point here. Cyclists don't want to hear the truth. You may be somebody who's annoyed by cyclists on the roadways. You have no idea what's coming down the pike. I've been the canary in the coal mine, the voice in the wilderness on this for years. I have nothing against cycling or people who are cyclists. It's wonderful exercise. Um, you know, cyclists get full of themselves and they think they're saving the world. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, progressive utopianism when it comes to cycling, particularly when they when they talk to policymakers in cities. And the reality is more cycling leads to bad results for the vast, 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 vast majority of people who don't bicycle, which is you. OK, you are going to have to bear the brunt of your tax dollars and your freedom being curtailed and the, the greater potential that just driving to work is going to become more dangerous to you from a criminal sense because you might have you might run into a cyclist. 
Now, the, now the cyclist will say, well, if you just follow the law, that will never happen. But if people did that, we'd have no collisions at all. You understand that. Every collision that occurs between one vehicle and another vehicle, whether it's a car and a truck or a truck and a bicycle, inevitably someone probably was negligent and violated some sort of law, okay? Inevitably, that's almost always the case. It's rare that it's a pure accident. Sometimes it is. But the problem is cyclists don't want to hear that. And they don't want to hear the fact that riding a bicycle on roads with cars, and I keep saying, I know I'm repeating myself, but I can't say it enough. It's a mantra. It has to be repeated. And, you know, to our friends in the legislature and in, in the administration and in the county government, you have to hear this. Riding a bicycle on roads with cars and trucks is inherently dangerous. It cannot be made safe by increasing the penalties for motorists who collide with bicyclists. It cannot be made safe by creating strict liability for motorists who collide with cyclists. It cannot be made safe with with changing the three-foot rule so that People have to just wait behind bicycles if there aren't three feet to get around them on a crowded roadway, which they're able to now. Okay, it's not going to be made safe by eliminating coal rolling. It's not going to be able to be made safe by creating lists of people who've had collisions and, you know, keeping some sort of eye on people who have had negative interactions with cyclists the way cyclists do. We've talked about all of this stuff on the conservative refuge. What needs to be done, what has to be done, is there has to be a countervailing voice in the halls of the General Assembly, in the halls of the Arundel Center or your local county government that says, if we really want to protect our citizens, if we really want to make where we live a better place to live, let's not put, let's not promote people engaging in an inherently dangerous activity to wit riding a bicycle on a roadway full of cars and trucks. Let's have people who enjoy cycling ride bicycles in places where they can't run into or don't run into cars and trucks. That will make them safer. The fact is the cyclists don't want to be safe. They want to take over the roads, and they want you to be punished for the fact that the cost of that is going to be, as this article points out, more deaths, and more injuries. End of sermon. Let's wrap it up. All right, we made it. Thanks for listening, by the way. Brian will be back next week. He may be solo. I don't know. I'm trying. It's very, very busy, which is a good thing, but it's it's tough. It's, It's tough. It's unusually busy for me and 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 i appreciate your indulgence perhaps it was entertaining to you i appreciate that as well love to get your feedback redmaryland at gmail.com anything we talked about anything you think we should be talking about would love to hear from you facebook.com slash redmaryland at redmaryland on twitter of course you can always call our talk back line we encourage you to do that because we and, and by the way the more negative the better the more negative, the better. We appreciate it. And we'll play your, if you leave it on our talkback line, we may play it in an upcoming episode. That number, 410-205-4875. Again, 
1-800-636-1675 is the Red Maryland Talkback line. Love to, of course, you can always leave a comment at redmaryland.com. Folks, we've got lots of great programming. Again, Brian and I will be in Montgomery County way too early on Saturday morning. Uh, we'll be recording a special show from there. Come, come do check it out uh, with our friends at the Montgomery County Republican State Central Committee as they have their convention, whatever it is. I don't know. There's lots of details at facebook.com slash redmaryland. Please do go check it out. We'd love to see you there. Um, Brian will have an all-new, presumably, if he gets back from eating burgers and drinking beer in Florida, uh, an all-new, um, and you got to follow him on Instagram. I mean, it's ridiculous. All he does is drink beer, eat hamburgers, and go to Catholic churches around the country. I don't know when he actually finds time to do any work, but I digress. An all-new air raid Sunday night. Maybe we'll talk about hamburgers. I'd love to hear him talk about hamburgers and beer because God knows he has a lot of opinions about both of those. You're going to want to check that out. I I will try, though it's not looking good, I have to be honest with you. Next week is another, it's another killer for you, boy. I'll try to do a conservative refuge very soon. Again, if you miss it, God bless you. You get lots of these, lots of these uh, cycling rants. People seem to love them. People seem to love when I get worked up. I don't know why. People say it's entertaining. People take great joy in my pain. Um, whatever. It is what it is. That's all in the conservative refuge. You can listen to that. Uh, Tuesday, we'll try. We'll see. And, of course, an all-new Red Mill. We don't miss this show. This show we make a point to, to make, and we know you listen, and we appreciate it, and thank you. Thank you for that. And by the way, if you hear something on this show that you don't like, we say, send us some feedback. You don't have to write your local elected officials. Tell us. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, that sometimes happens. And it's weird, but it's fun. That way we know you're listening and it's great. So with that, (laughs) I made it. I made it. You made it. God bless you. RedMaryland.com for everything you need. Check out uh, Governor Hogan on WGMD, WGMD.com, tune in radio app. Uh, it's on the Eastern Shore. Just just check it out. It's a great, by the way, a great station. Mike Bradley does a great job. The governor's going to be on Friday morning at 8 o'clock. Check it out. I'm there every Thursday at 7.50 a.m. Um, for the Red Maryland segment. By the way, they got a new stinger that includes my name, which I don't think I didn't notice that, Mike. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. With that, I'm going to be I'm going to lie down over here if you need me. I'm Greg Klein. Hang in there. We will get there and I'll leave you with the uh, dulcet tone some more of the new White Snake Love is Blind. Take care folks. Hang in there. We will get there. The sea love love is blind. And true love is hard to find It makes you wonder Now you yesterday's news At the bitter end of a love affair Some you win, some you lose Cause love is blind Love is blind 